Welcome to the Specialty Pharmacy Podcast, your prescription for specialty pharmacy success. Hello, and welcome to the CSI Specialty Pharmacy Podcast. I'm Andy Madigan, your host for this episode, and today we're joined by Richard Williams. Richard will be discussing how the pharmaceutical industry is responding to the coronavirus crisis. Richard is CSI's Senior Vice President of Pharmaceutical Innovation and Insights. He is a second-generation pharmacist who has over three decades of experience in the pharmacy and pharmaceutical industry. Welcome back to the show, Richard. Thank you, Andy. Well, looking back at our last visit, Richard, it was a couple of months ago, you were providing a what was a look ahead at what was then seen as a real promising and active year for industry events and meetings. And, you know, as I said, that was two months ago, but man, how, how things have changed. I remember when we could look two to three months in advance and do planning and think about the future. Uh, today, uh, that window is about three to five, maybe six hours because things are moving so quickly. This is a truly extraordinary time. It certainly is. So it, jumping right in, how have you seen, I know you've been doing a lot of research and, and keeping up on what's uh, been going on through a number of different channels in the pharmaceutical space. How has that industry been reacting to the coronavirus? Well, Andy, as, as you know, uh, I've spent my entire career either practicing pharmacy in the pharmaceutical industry and or working with pharmaceutical companies like we do every day here at CSI Specialty Group. And so I do talk to a lot of different uh, companies. Uh, some are, are very big pharma companies. Some are very young uh, startup bio companies, uh, biopharmaceutical companies that are looking for their first product. Uh, what I can tell you is that the U.S., and the world's best hope of beating the coronavirus is in the laboratories of the pharmaceutical and biotech companies across the globe. Uh, seven days a week, sometimes 18 to 20 hours a day, scientists work in these laboratories and in front of sophisticated computer systems trying to understand the virus and developing ways to slow it, stop it, and or prevent the disease from harming humans. The scientists have backgrounds in medicine, pharmacy, biochemistry, engineering. Uh, they really are some of the smartest and brightest minds in the world. Um, these are the individual groups working behind the scene to stop the coronavirus. Uh, the biopharmaceutical companies are searching for treatments and cures and vaccines uh, that give all of us hope. And I think the one thing that uh, we're seeing now more than ever is that this entire industry has come together and focused on a single problem. Andy, I'd be remiss if we didn't recognize and provide a shout out to the hundreds and thousands of frontline doctors, nurses, and pharmacists who are really the bright spot of a system under tremendous stress. Uh, and now as we speak, Airlines are providing free travel to healthcare workers to move these volunteers into areas where they are needed the most. We, we're just seeing an unprecedented, extraordinary response by the healthcare community with regard to this pandemic. And uh, we all need to be grateful for them and the work that they're doing. Absolutely. Very well said. And uh, one of the things that you had pointed out is that this time has really demonstrated how well 
oftentimes competing organizations now working hand in hand towards a common goal. Can you give us some examples of what that looks like? Yeah, I'd be happy to, Andy. And this was really reported by BioCentury this week. Uh, but the research and development heads of at least 10 pharmaceutical and biopharmaceutical companies have been gathering several times a week, setting in motion a plan to use their top talent from different disciplines to produce an industry-wide response, the likes of which we haven't seen since the private sector's coordinated contribution during World War II, which was almost 75 years ago. Uh, they are working to minimize uh, the duplication of efforts, they're streamlining workflows, and advancing efficient testing of compounds and vaccines. The pharma group's leaders are sharing resources with biotech companies and academic groups. The article uh, that I studied really quoted one source involved in the group uh, who said, this is not a time to think about proprietary information or intellectual property or margins. We need to break down the barriers and solve the problem. This is a very intense, highly competitive industry that is now totally focused and aligned together to find a treatment and a cure for this invisible enemy. Could you shed a little bit of light on how they're approaching that? What what specific areas do you think that they're focusing on first? Is it the treatment that is of greater concern or the vaccine? Does one work in harmony with the other? Yeah, Andy, from my perspective, there are three specific areas of focus, and you touched on two of them. One is treatment, one is prevention, and the third is really vaccinations. Uh, with the number of cases skyrocketing and the number of deaths increasing daily, the immediate focus is finding drugs that can slow or stop the disease. As you're aware, there's a buzz around a drug called hydroxychloroquine and azithromycin. Anecdotally, the combination of these two drugs have worked very effectively for some patients. The second area of focus is prevention. Uh, we accomplish this through social distancing and sheltering in place, but those are not long-term strategies. The industry is working to determine if there's a pharmaceutical solution. Think of it like birth control pill that would prevent you from ever contracting the virus. And then finally, as we now suspect the virus may be cyclical, meaning that it may be here for several years and it may be certain times of year similar to the flu, uh, that we deal with every year, finding and creating a vaccine will be really important and an area that much work is taking place. Uh, just recently, J&J &J announced progress on a vaccine that might be available early next year. That's amazing that uh, with, within a year, less than a year, they could develop a vaccine. But as importantly, as they test the vaccine for safety and efficacy, they are simultaneously going at risk to begin manufacturing the vaccine. The CEO stated this week that their goal was to have 1 billion doses available. Another company, Metacago, is working on a platform that would allow them to create a vaccine using tobacco plants. Although months away, this is really exciting progress. All right, let's go back to hydroxychloroquine. And it's generated quite a bit of interest. That seems to have also created some tension between President Trump and Dr. Anthony Fauci. 
can you provide some insight into what's happening there? Yes, I believe I can, Andy. The, the FDA states that its goals for the expanded use or compassionate drug use program are to facilitate the availability of investigational drugs when appropriate, ensure patient safety, and preserve the clinical trial development process. I think it's this third point where Dr. Fauci appears to focus his attention based on his clinical and scientific background, which spans, I think, more than 50 years. President Trump is focused on making investigational drugs available when appropriate to provide hope for Americans. They are both really aligned with the FDA's goal to expand access to medicines for patients suffering from the virus. They're just looking at it from two totally different perspectives. President Trump is looking and thinking about the hope and the possibilities of having something that works. Dr. Fauci, with a very scientific, rigorous mind, is saying it's got to be double-blind, placebo-controlled, comparative type of trials. Well, during an epidemic and pandemic that we're experiencing now, I think they're both right, and uh, I think that's what they're doing. Matter of fact, just this weekend, the U.S. Food and Drug Administration issued an emergency use authorization, EUA. I had never heard of this before, Andy, uh, with almost four decades in the industry. Uh, but they, they issued this emergency use authorization to BARDA, the Biomedical Advanced Research and Development Authority, to allow hydroxychloroquine and chloroquine uh, products to be donated to the strategic national stockpile where it's going to be distributed and prescribed by doctors to hospitalize teens and adult patients with COVID-19 as appropriate. Uh, this week, um, the FDA accepted more than 30 million doses of hydroxychloroquine from Sandoz, uh, the Novartis, uh, part of the Novartis company, which is their generic arm. And they also accepted 1 million doses of chloroquine uh, donated by Bayer Pharmaceuticals. So you see the industry stepping up, providing free drugs to the federal government to be used in patients where they're deemed necessary and appropriate, aligned with the FDA policies. That really provides some hope that the pharmaceutical industry is working very hard and, and very much in a collaborative way to find a cure. You know, we know they have extraordinary resources in some of the smartest minds on the planet. But, uh, you know, to see them all coming together like that um, is uh, is comforting, I think should be comforting to many. What issues do you see the industry facing due to the coronavirus? Andy, the pharmaceutical industry is not immune to the impact of this deadly disease. Currently, there are three specific areas that are being impacted. There's probably many more that I haven't thought about, but these three, I think, are important for your audience to understand. N number one, the industry has adopted a work-at-home principle, just like every other company around the world, with the exception of manufacturing and research and development. These key areas are still functioning at full speed to continue to ensure our pharmaceutical supply chain and provide patients the medicines they need, as well as working to find a cure for coronavirus and many other challenging diseases. Every other part of, the, of a pharmaceutical company is working from home to allow the appropriate social distancing 
and to avoid any potential contamination of these very important workers uh, that are making sure that our drug supply remains intact. S secondly, uh, and we're starting to hear about this, and this will be something that uh, we'll uh, experience and feel probably for the next couple of years, and that is clinical trials are being delayed, slowed, and in some cases even stopped. For patients who are waiting for cures and treatments to unmet medical conditions, this delay has got to be difficult. I'm not sure that this will impact the number of drugs approved by the FDA this year, but it will be, have a negative impact on products approved over the next couple of years. And then finally, the third thing is it has been reported that some companies will not introduce new products that have received FDA approval. Uh, just recently, Bristol-Myers Squibb received FDA approval for a new multiple sclerosis therapy, uh, which was right on schedule, but the company has put, a, put the launch of this product on hold until the pandemic abates. And so we will see a slowing of some innovation. I think everybody's focused on finding a cure and therapies that can help patients overcome this pandemic. I think we'll see a slowing of new molecules over the next couple of years. There'll be some delays in that, uh, which are, is not going to be good, but I think that's reality. And then finally, I think uh, companies will wait uh, to launch products and introduce them to the marketplace till we get back to uh, normal. Thank you, Richard. That's about all the time we have today. And uh, with that, I think there's a lot going on, as you as you mentioned. There is also a lot of hope and inspiration that people may draw from, from the collaboration that is existing between these pharmaceutical manufacturers. And again, um, thank you for sharing your thoughts and your insights in this very important area. We, we look forward to having you join us again. Thank you, Andy. Thank you for listening to the CSI Specialty Pharmacy Podcast. If you've enjoyed listening today, I encourage you to subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast delivery platform. I also invite you to visit our website, csigroup.net, and download your free copy of the 2019 State of Specialty Pharmacy Report. Again, that's csigroup.net forward slash survey. You can also keep up with us on social media by following CSI Specialty Group on LinkedIn, Twitter, and Facebook. CSI Specialty Group is a subsidiary of group purchasing organization Entelair. CSI expands Entelair's suite of solutions to healthcare providers, health systems, pharmacies, and pharmaceutical partners. Entelair is owned by Intermountain Healthcare, a leading healthcare system based in Salt Lake City, Utah. CSI supports our parent organization's vision of providing tailored, smart solutions to help deliver superior services at an affordable cost. You've been listening to the CSI Specialty Pharmacy Podcast. Until next time, good day. Thanks for listening to the Specialty Pharmacy Podcast. If there's anything we mentioned in today's show you missed, don't worry. We take the show notes for you at csigroup.net slash podcast. If you're not already a subscriber, please consider pressing the subscribe button on our podcast player so you never miss one of our future episodes. And if you haven't given us a rating or a review on iTunes yet, please find a spare minute and help us reach and educate even more of our specialty pharmacy peers. The Specialty Pharmacy Podcast is a production of CSI specialty group your go-to firm for all things specialty pharmacy thanks again for listening and we'll catch you next time doctor's orders